Beloved, we are in the middle of the, uh, the Ten Commandments, and um, needs no introduction, I'm sure. But uh, we reached verse 13, and the uh, Lord in, in this commandment inst instructs us, saying, you shall not murder. And that is the commandment we will study tonight. Please be seated. The teaching of this commandment is that you must not take away your own life uh, or the life of your neighbor unjustly. There is a way that uh, it is possible for people, a person, to take another person's life and is permissible. permissible. Uh, but uh, there is other, another way that is most unjust, most unrighteous. God condemns that. He does not allow it. You must not take away your own life or the life of your neighbor unjustly. And in fact, you must not do anything which tends to the destruction of human life. You recall in the third commandment, uh, I made application that that commandment teaches us that God's name is to re be revered and kept holy in uh, every which way in which he was, uh, reveals his greatness, his attributes, his word, his works. Uh, and part of that is creation. You see a, an overlap there because men and women are the creatures uh, uh, created by God and in his image. And when we hurt other people, we actually are destroying that lovely image. We want to do away with something of God's glory in the creature. So in a sense, we've already made application uh, to leave God's creation and honor it because uh, he is the Lord of creation. We should not bother it. But this is a more direct statement in case the nuance of the third commandment escapes us. He wants us to understand that murder is sin. It's serious sin, and it was a capital offense in Israel. Capital offenses uh, require uh, up to the sentence, up to, not, not necessarily always absolutely requiring uh, the death penalty, uh, but the, uh, the full force of uh, the law allows for, for capital punishment. So let's look at this commandment, what it, what it uh, enjoins us to do and what it uh, forbids us to do. First of all, it's your duty. And as I spoke in Sunday school, duty means it is our is a reasonable service due to God. That's how this word duty comes about. It's, it's not a, a legalistic term at all. Duty is a reasonable service uh, given the fact that we are creatures and God is God. And uh, we are told that having done all, uh, we are yet unprofitable servants. That's the teaching of Jesus. Can you imagine if we turn our backs from even wanting to do all because we consider it a legalism to do our duty? Well, there is the state of which many people find themselves today. So we need to explore these commandments in light of who God is, who we are as God's covenant people, as he speaks to us as his adopted covenant community, uh, and in terms of a gracious covenant. And that's exactly what we have in both the Old and the New Testament. The first point, you must endeavor then to preserve your own life and the life of others. 
And the, the means by which you do this, the means by which you preserve yourself and the life of others must be lawful. That is to say, it must be in keeping with all of the God's commands. None of God's commandments uh, clash with one another. Uh, there is no admixture of unwholesomeness or, or sin or confusion. There should be no confusion in your mind. And if you ha are confused about whether to do one thing or the other uh, by way of commandment, uh, remember that God is love, that his commandments require love to God and love to neighbor, that you're to uh, do unto others as they, you would have them to do unto yourself. Lots of things clarify there if you would keep in mind uh, the very basic instruction of what is our duty. The means must be kept. And some of the means prescribed are as follows. First of all, you must resist whatever tends to the unjust taking away or deterioration or harming of life of any other human being. That means thoughts that are angry or thoughts that tend to want to uh, avenge yourself, especially scheming to that end, as we see, uh, <clears throat> as we saw in the first sermon today, uh, the Jews, uh, they are the Pharisees and the high priests, the scribes, conspiring against the Lord and against his, uh, against his anointed, also purposing uh, to capture him. That is the breaking of this commandment. Um, we must follow the means to subdue all our passions. I know there are schools of psychology that would have you vent. But if you give vent to your passions, you are in bondage to your passions. Now, you don't want to bottle yourself up. You can express grief to others. You can express uh, anger to God even. Yeah, but you must never let loose. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that we are not to be governed by anything. We are free in Christ. And if we are slaves to our emotions and slaves to our passions, we are not being true to selves. We are not being hypocrites when we suppress hateful, killing passion. We are being Christian when we suppress killing, hating passion. Now, I really feel this way, and I'd be a hypocrite if I felt any other way. No, you would be more saintly if you repented and felt another way. And so you are to ask the Lord for grace that you cease from being dominated by uh, and subdued by passion by avoiding all occasions that will present itself. If you know there's going to be a street fight and certain gang members hate one another, just don't go down that street. If you know uh, that uh, a certain person was going to be at a certain place at a certain time and that person was dangerous, it's best not to show up uh, and be a provocation. Don't look for trouble, and a lot of trouble will not come to you. It's amazing what happens when you just look ahead and walk straight and ignore a lot of uh, difficulty. Don't get entangled. Don't, don't meddle with other people's difficulties. Uh, resisting uh, all temptations. Now this is interesting because all sin is related to all other sin in some way or another. Uh, and, and so corruption doesn't remain in silos where if you're given uh, to thievery, you're not going to think of murder. Or if you're given to murder, you're not going to think, uh, you're not conceive of, of, of fornication. Uh, all we like sheep uh, have wandered from, uh, from our ways, from the straight way, 
We each, we each prefer certain sins, but all sins are related to someone or another. So, and as much as you kill one, you kill all to a degree. And if you resist one temptation, you resist all temptations. The way to fight thoughts of suicide of, or, or patricide or homicide is to cease from sin in general. All temptation. So, uh, so this is some of the means that are prescribed. Um, also by, just, uh, by justly defending uh, yourself against a violent aggressor. Now let's just make sure that you have done so without provoking the aggression and, uh, and provo provoking others to be wrathful and to be vengeful, but you have a right to preserve your life. And uh, it doesn't matter if the state says don't do it or we'll lock you up. God says you must do it. And that, my friends, is a very troublesome trial. But in the case of defending oneself or losing one's life, you must defend your life if you are doing so in a just way. Um, also, life and its difficulties presents many, many challenges. Some of these things are very heavy. They're very grievous. We chafe at the, at the chastening of God. We chafe at the providences of God. Some of God's providences are very heavy. We, uh, we, turn, we, get to, we are inclined to illness, financial difficulty. Uh, we are inclined to social uh, estrangement, marginalization. We must bear the hand of God patiently, knowing that he's sovereign, that uh, no temptation has... Uh, taking you but that which is common to man God will will have you have a way out he will provide a way Joseph was able to flee from Potiphar's wife you do not you don't have to sit there and succumb and uh, nor grumble nor complain as the uh, the Jew the Israelites in the wilderness did uh, they came under heavy 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 providences by way of discipline expressly because they were idolaters, uh, because they were unbelievers. Uh, they were not believing the promises of God. They didn't believe Moses, the servant of God. They fell into heavy discipline. They were mumblers. They were murmurers. They were complainers. They were stiff-necked. Uh, they were jealous of Moses' leadership. They were jealous of Aaron's leadership, uh, etc. You must bear the hand of God patiently, quietly, uh, and not provoke him or grieve his spirit further. You must, my friends, seek peace in your mind and in your heart, quietness of mind. You have the promise of God that uh, the Lord says, I will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon thee. <coughs> uh, let not your hearts be troubled. In this world you have tribulation, but I have, come, I have overcome the world. Um, Cease from anger. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. Uh, we have many, many promises. Uh, my place to go, <laughs> my favorite place, to, it's kind of a funny place. I, I'm giggling because I think it's funny. <laughs> when Elisha uh, took the, the mantle of Elijah and uh, so many people were coming to him and he would sit up on a hill, and, and the prophets of the northern king would come and say, hey, come down, we need to meet. The king wants to meet with you. Come on down, man of God. He says, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down, consume you. Boom, the company of 50 would consume, then 
Oh, that's bad news. You send another company to 50. Same thing. I mean, I don't think the prophet was concerned about how many 50s. You know, he's going to, I mean, it, there, he, he was fully confident that the Lord was going to protect him. And sure enough, you know, he was quiet of mind, even though he had a very powerful king against him. Cheerfulness of spirit. Despite every, despite everything in your background, there is no reason for a Christian to remain with a long, drawn-out face. Jesus says, be of good cheer. Now, that's not a suggestion. He gives us a commandment. He gives us the power to do it. We are to rejoice exceedingly. And we are to always rejoice and, and give thanks in all things. James says that we consider it all joy when you face various trials. And yet we, are, we have a different mind. No, we, we must complain. We are, become agitated. And we must, we must find a way, even through prayer or, I don't know, convulse the church, do anything to change our circumstances and not ask the Lord to change our hearts. That's the last thing we want to do is to have the Lord to make us complacent and cheerful in the extremity of danger and hardship and trial, mockings, persecution, whatever. We'd rather be at ease in Zion and have God change everything around us but ourselves. That's the height of unfaithfulness. He's not going to do it. We've got to learn that with God there's resources and we must control our passions and we must surmount every difficulty if we are going to reach uh, the mind of Christ in every event. Cheerfulness of spirit. Otherwise, we're guilty of breaking this commandment. We must be moderate in our living and, and uh, self-controlled. This includes uh, a sober use of food. Uh, this is an interesting concept because in the, in the assembly, and you'll recognize I'm going through the Westminster Larger Catechism. That's all I'm doing. These men understood that there's, there's, a, there's a relationship here, an interrelationship between the, the body and the soul, and the care of one influences the care of the other. And if you love yourself, you will eat properly, you will find nutrition, not excess, you will avoid wisely those things that shock your body. Squeeze it, especially, you know, things such as, well, I, I don't want to get into dietary science here, but you know that the science cannot rule in the church, but you know when your body is convulsed by eating the wrong foods and uh, drinking too much or even drinking the wrong things. A sober use of food, you have to watch a moderate drink, physical exercise. And Jesus was an itinerant preacher. Uh, he, doesn't, he, didn't go to, he doesn't have a gym membership, but he walked a lot of miles. And all of these people uh, were fairly fit. If you look around the world, you'll notice much of the world is, is thinner, much thinner than we are in the, in the civilized nations of the world. And the reason is not that they have less food, is that they have a great deal more exercise. And uh, anyway, physical exercise, if you haven't got that, a walk schedule, it doesn't have to be anything vigorous, just make sure that you uh, ambulate. Sleep. 
Now, there's something to be said about sleep that is a way of not trusting yourself, but leaving all circumstances, all worries, all concerns, work, ability to make uh, income and keep yourself, you're trusting the Lord. And your body needs to be refreshed. And uh, lack of sleep, again, I'm not going to cite psychological studies and all this, but when I was in college, I learned the sleep deprivation will send you into a, a, psychiatric, a psychiatric trouble in no time. Four days, four days without sleeping, you, you are very much in trouble and tending towards killing yourself and others. Okay? Uh, a moderate amount of work. The Protestant work ethic is not work until your fingers drop off. That is, that is, that is a, that's a caricature of the Protestant work ethic. It is nowhere near any of our confessions. We are to work, uh, provide a, a reasonable day's job, uh, but we must find time for many other things, family, uh, friendship, community, study, prayer. Moderate your work. If you are enslaved to work, it tends toward the exhaustion of your body, and that tends towards the breaking of this commandment, the loss of life. And I've already said about physical exercise, uh, but recreation is a special kind of physical exercise. Some recreation has lots of exercise in it. Other recreation, no. But it's just basically changing, uh, changing the walls of your mind and uh, finding refreshment. You need to take a look at that. That's, that's a way to moderate your life. Uh, uh, and, and that's sober living and shows... Uh, diligent self-control. Be wise. Read extra books. Don't just read the Bible. The Bible's a great book. But there's good cookbooks. There's good history books. Learn badminton or what do you, what do you call that new thing? But I forget that. Yeah, that, that whatever. That, that's a very funny thing. That's now replaced badminton and tennis. But yeah. Um, the most important thing, though, is righteousness has its own rewards, and righteousness tends to towards life. So you must endeavor to preserve your own life and the life of others through righteous living, by having loving thoughts and charitable thoughts. Concern for others promotes life for yourself. Loving others promotes life, promotes your own life, because God is delighted with that, and he'll bless you. And the blessing of God tends toward longer life, by having compassion, by, by, by every attribute of God, who is the God of life, tends toward, as a means, toward, tends towards life, because not, not of itself, but because God delights in it, such as meekness and gentleness, kindness, peaceableness, mild and courteous speeches and behavior. All these things tend towards life. Uh, you take the opposite if you're abrasive and you're always picking a fight and you're you're always wanting to quarrel. Uh, that's a good way to start uh, wars between nations. This is not the behavior uh, for a delegate to the United Nations. A, a garrulous man or a woman uh, would not be welcome in that assembly. Life is also preserved and maintained through the means of forgiving those who sin against you. You, 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 you cover the sins of, uh, uh, that, that, that people commit against you. 
And as far as you can, by the Lord's grace, you, you leave them behind. How do you do this? By forbearing. Sometimes you can't forgive technically because they haven't asked you for forgiveness, nor would God forgive them because they haven't repented. And you have a case there. If they haven't shown you a concern and you've, they have really dealt you uh, uh, wickedness, then uh, it's hard to forgive. And I would say, technically, there is no forgiveness because God doesn't want to forgive them. They must repent. Not only confession, mere confession is not, is not uh, good enough either. They must turn and show new obedience. So until you see that, you are to forbear. And there's no time limit as to how long you forbear, because God forbears. Uh, he's he's long-suffering. He's long-suffering. Uh, I had to learn uh, this, this word uh, when I had to deal with uh, a minister in another uh, in another uh, presbytery within our denomination that just would not teach people the Lord's Day Sabbath ordinance. And I uh, was given the instruction, well, you can't forgive, and there's no excusing this, but you can forbear. You can be in the denomination and forbear. You suffer long. It's a godly thing to suffer long in the church when people are sinning against you and you don't give up on them. You wait. Um, you should always have a readiness to be reconciled. If a person asks for forgiveness and is, and is demonstrably showing that he's earnest, that he wants to bridge the gap, it is utterly devilish to say no. It is utterly satanic not to be reconciled. You need to be ready to be reconciled. Otherwise, it just, again, it's, it's adding more matches to the fuel igniting new fires. This uh, is an endeavor to uh, lose your life and, and sin once again, making for war and murder, patiently bearing and forgiving of injuries, and requiting good for evil. Do not be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. Well, pastor, that's not natural. Nobody does that. It's not of the human fallen nature, but it is of the redeemed nature. It is the instruction of Christ. You have no option. You think you have an option and that God will forgive you for doing otherwise. If you keep sinning like that presumptuously, you're going to find yourself in a greater discipline than the guy who first dealt you some wrong. You must requit good for evil. You greet those people that have been rude to you and shunned you. You continue to pray for them. You've shown them kindness. How's your mother? I heard your sister was sick. How's she doing? Like that. Take an interest in them. If they walk away, that's all right. Requiting good for evil. As far as it is up to you, seek peace with all men and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, regardless of whatever faith they think they have. Uh, the means, by ministering to those who are suffering, of course, those who are suffering are tempted to despair. And despair is a mighty, mighty sin. There's a threshold of despair where things suddenly cave and uh, they stop eating, they stop caring for themselves. They, in very subtle ways, uh, I heard an expression just the other day, I was watching a movie, I think it's right. Uh, few people commit suicide. Most people destroy themselves quite subtly. 
They just put an end to themselves in a, some kind of rage, a quiet rage. But they will. But those who are suffering, you come alongside. Even if you don't have any instruction, biblical counseling, just being with them and being by them is a Christian service. Job's uh, counselors, those three men, they took seven days to open their mouths. I wish we had those kind of wise guys today. I could stand with four friends that would just come visit and keep their mouths shut while I'm suffering without giving me goofy advice. Well, you know, the Lord, this is happening to you because you're goofy. Why don't you just shut up for seven days? Leave me alone. I got my wife here to tell me what's wrong with me. That's Job, okay? I'm play acting. I'm pretending I'm Job. I'm not Job. By, you come beside them, and if, if, and if you don't know what to say, keep quiet. But then see, you, know, you know what comfort feels like. Every person knows how to be treated nicely. Every, everybody, everybody who's more than six years old here knows how to be nice to people. Well, comfort somebody. Secure them, the distress. If you need some help in that, we, we can give you some instruction biblically on how to be a good friend uh, and, uh, and, cheer, and be a good cheer to others by, perfect, by protecting and defending the innocent. Some people just don't know that they have rights. They don't know how to express their rights. They don't know their options in life. Um, they get abused. The strong will abuse the weak. The politically strong will try to manipulate others. And the church life is not exempt for that. In Ezekiel, we're given a picture of the stronger sheep butting and, and, and shouldering and trying to, get, trying to get at the feed, and they're not happy, and they're they're going to get their way because they're stronger and the little guys are being trampled, you know. Defending the weak, the innocent. Those are all the means in the positive. In the negative, you must never take your own life or the, or the life of another person uh, unjustly. Now, you must then shun every means that contributes to taking life unjustly. And those are the means I just said in the, just the, the, the above 20 minutes. There are those that have the authority to take life. The church is not given that authority, ever. Even when the authority, when the church surmounts to great authority and presence in the state, the church is a spiritual entity. Uh, the spirituality of the church forbids even the spanking of bad children. You know, we don't have a paddle over here. We don't have a principal's office. We're not going to paddle our children in Sunday school when they, when they misbehave. We do not touch corporally. Our, our, all of our resources are entreaty. I mean, to so say, asking people to behave, asking them to be reasonable, come reason with me. Let's think through this thing. Let's pray together. Here's some counsel or, or some, some other imperative. Stop that. That's wrong. Okay? But the, there is public justice. There is a lawful war. There is a necessary defense. And those things need uh, to be considered. Uh, the, the commandment allows for the maintenance of life. The expression pro-choice is satanic. It uh, says that man in God's image has the option of... Uh, 
be, it's your choice. You're sovereign, not God. And uh, if you choose, that life will live. And if you choose, that life will die. That's what Satan thinks. And it is a demonic expression. Forbidden means then, the forbidden means are the neglect of lawful and necessary means to preserve life. Going on a hunger strike. Oh, I want the press to notice me. I want some people. This, this insolence must stop. This is a social injustice. I'm going to stop eating. You're doing your body justice. You might do your liver in. Neglecting the lawful necessary means to preserve life. Withdrawing the necessary means of preserving life. Okay. Sinful anger, not anger. The Bible is clear. Be angry and sin not. I think that's Psalm 5. If anger, if all anger was sinful, and I've heard this, I've heard this in the church, if, in this church, if all anger were sinful, then Jesus is guilty of anger, sinfully sinning against God in, in several instances. It's sinful anger. Anger sometimes is exactly the emotion that will propel us to do something. Anger is sometimes the, the, the force that needs to be in your voice to let people know that they are in great spiritual trouble. Sinful anger tends to the taking of life, especially when the anger takes a, an upper hand and you lose rational thought. When you cannot express yourself with clarity, cogency, when you're not developing an argument, when you are reeling and spooling and not going anywhere in your anger, it's out of control. And when you lose control, you've broken this commandment. Hatred is sin, says Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Review that. Envy, that is to say, wishing malice uh, of, other, of another person because he has something that you don't, or you wish he didn't have it because you think he's not deserving. That's envy. It goes beyond jealousy. It has a tinge of avengement and, and of uh, justice in it. The desire of revenge. I spoke that of, you know, in, in my, in my report, report on this, this morning's sermon on the, uh, on the spy ops. All excessive passions, and that includes extreme elation. By the way, extreme extreme happiness—that uh, is to say, uncontrolled jubilation for a protracted amount of time—can get you in trouble. It's exhausting on your nervous system. Watch that. Okay, you're you're not called to live a life of ecstasy here. I mean, I think that's what drives a lot of people to to, to drugs. Distracting cares. If you can, get out from under them. If not, spend more time in prayer. Ask the Lord, you know, help me to cast my burdens on you. I know you care for me, Lord, but these, these burdens are, are troublesome to shoulder. I'm losing sleep. My digestive system is compromised. Uh, I'm emotionally troubled by all this stuff. That tends to the robbing of life. Robbing of life is a breach of this commandment. Immoderate living, food, drink, work, recreations. We can exercise too much. There was a book out in the 70s. I forget its title, but it had to do. Basically, uh, it, 
a, a man discovered a, a great correlation between the health and jogging. And uh, so people thought that that correlation always could be extended into any number of, of miles and days and hours of recreation. People can ruin themselves by running a marathon. You can ruin your liver by running a marathon if you're not careful. You can die of dehydration if you're, if, if you're not careful. So excessive uh, recreation, you have to know yourself. You have to know what your body, your limits are. You can, and sometimes it's not right to go for the gold. Provocative speech, oppression, tyranny of that sort, uh, the, the, uh, the, a, quarrels, a quarrelsome spirit always picking fights, never, never seeking peace, striking and wounding, whatever tends to the destruction or the robbing of life of any. The word shalom is a wonderful Hebrew word. We ought to greet one another. It means peace, but it also means well-being. Uh, in Hebrew, quite literally, often it is asked when two people come together, is it shalom, is it peace? And the answer is shalom, peace, I come in peace. Um, it's a state of, um, of contentment. Uh, and your soul knows it, and that you don't need much explanation as to what that means. Seek that. And uh, many of the trials leading to uh, the, the breach of this commandment are, are abated. Especially, my friends, if you're in a position where you're having suicidal thoughts. I know that's an organic thing, and some of these things are, are, are deeply rooted in our chemistry and physiology and all that. But one thing is related to another. And if you will cease in all these manners, little by little you will see greater self-control, better control of your thoughts, oppression, and things like that. Runaway thoughts, ask the Lord for self-control. The conclusion is you should never, you must never take away your own life or the life of your neighbor in an unjust manner. You must not do anything which tends to the destruction of human life. Now, my friends, uh, we rob ourselves of life. The Lord holds out for us not an abundance of possessions, but an abundance of life. He is the Lord of life, and, and he wants us to have an abundant life today. Now, we think that's prosperity gospel, but that's not, that's not the prosperity gospel. That's just living well to God. That is theology, according to the Puritan model, is the science of living well to God. That is a life that is abundant. Abraham was, died an old man full of years. Moses too, although he had a, a, Moses had a difficult life. But it should be said of us, and Peter holds out the prospect for us loving our life. Let him who loves life and, see, and would see good days and refrain his tongue from evil. Let him cease from speaking guile. Let us turn to the Lord. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, their ears to their prayers, but the Lord is against those 
who proudly abuse, and especially in his kingdom. So do you want to see good days? Uh, then seek the things that make for life. And uh, you will see. Now ask the Lord to search your heart. There's enough here, there's enough material here in the Westminster Larger Catechism to land us squarely in a number of problems here that we can immediately begin to ask the Lord to help with. Okay? You confess these things, you ask for grace, turn from them, um, ask for repentance, ask for the infilling of the Holy Spirit, uh, learn contentment. The Lord himself has said, I will be with you always, even to the ends of the earth. Is that not enough for us? If that's not good enough, let's ask ourselves, then how could God improve on that? He's promised to be near you and with you all your days. Be of good cheer. I've overcome. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Walk with your God humbly, doing justice and mercy. Ask for the Holy Spirit to help you in this. You lose nothing, my friend, in this life when you are dealt bad circumstances. All things are yours. You stand to inherit Christ and all things in him. He comes, short, he's come, he comes quickly, he comes soon, and his reward is with him. These uh, days here are not your heaven. They are a trial period. You're in the wilderness. You can either learn to rejoice in the hope of the promised land, or you can quarrel, mingle, murmur, and find yourself disapproved of God in the end. The Lord has given us his promise to be with us, forgiveness of sins, cleansing, a significant mortification of sin in this life. Now, my friends, he's given us, in the, by way of a reminder, in the Lord's Supper, he, he reminds us that that he is a God who has given his life justly because that was his mission. That was the covenant that he, he entered into a covenant with God that he, in giving his life, might be the source of life for many. If this is a life-giving sacrament. Christ is a life-giving Savior. We affirm life by remembering his death. And that's because the Lamb was a substitute on our behalf. We believe that. That's the gospel. Our sins are remitted in his blood. And uh, we have peace with God. And we have all things to make for life. So let's celebrate our liberty by remembering the prince of life at his table. Will the elders please come forward?
So this is the Lord's table. It's uh, another ordinance, the second ordinance we celebrate today. Sacrament, it's uh, instituted by Christ and the church. Means of grace. The, the ordinance does nothing of itself, but in as much as we obey Christ uh, in the ordinance, it becomes for us a means of grace, a conduit in the Holy Spirit, of course. The Holy Spirit is the one who applies the benefits of Christ's redemption, the mediator, the mediator Christ. If we are diligent in the means of grace, the mediator is promised to be our help. And he is always, always going to be mediating pro-life, never pro-death. Pro-spiritual life, that is to say, the progress of our souls. So, uh, here we have simple elements, bread and wine. And we consecrate them for a special use. And so this table is for all who have hope of righteousness through the gospel. And if you have made profession in Christ, if you have been baptized, if you know that uh, objectively, not subjectively, but objectively, you believe that the gospel says you have peace with God, and you believe that statement, although you're, you may have troubled, a troubled soul. You may not have subjective peace, but you may have believed in, the, in this, the, the objective peace that God has truly been reconciled. This, this is for you. You want subjective peace. You wish your, 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 your mind and your heart were more at peace, but it's not. But the Lord will help you there. And if you know and are hoping in the grace, objectively, that God has promised to give you, though you do not see the fruit of it, though you wish you had greater righteousness, this yet is for you. Your subjective sent sentiment of grace or sensation of grace may be weak. But you know that you believe that God is gracious and he's gracious to you specifically in Christ. And that you are not worthy of grace as a sinner, but you are certainly entitled to grace by his covenant of grace. This table is for you. If you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, this table is not for you. If you have not repented, this table is not for you. If you do not love God, this table is not for you. If you refuse to be reconciled to God, this table is not for you. If you refuse to reconcile to anyone in the church, this table is not for you. This is a communion table, a table of fellowship with God and his friends. And it's one fellowship, not several. So this is how we bind the table. And furthermore, here are the words of institution. Paul says, when I received from the Lord, I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he'd given thanks, he broke the bread and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Whoever then eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself and then eat the bread and drink of the cup. Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Basically, this is no ordinary meal. You can't treat it as if it's ordinary. It's a, it's a sacred meal. It's, it's not secular. It's holy. Now, this is why many of you are are weak and ill, some have died. 
that if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Even when we make a mistake, the Lord is not going to let go of us. He will discipline His sons according to the Davidic covenant, which is not, it's not disannulled, it is, uh, it, it is fulfilled in Christ. And, and so He will discipline His sons lest we uh, go in our own way and perish. All right, let's pray. Lord, now consecrate this bread and this wine to your glory in your church. May it be for the strengthening of, uh, of souls and uh, health in every way to the whole man by your blessing. Have, you have promised, Lord, uh, that we should uh, do this in remembrance of you, the great covenant of grace, the great covenant of the new covenant in your blood which we rejoice in, and which is in all our hope. And we, we pray, Lord, uh, for the blessing of this table. In the name of Christ, amen.